It's Wednesday, October the 6th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Taiwan's tense status quo and exposing the Catholic Church in France. First, the world in brief. Joe Biden told reporters that he and Xi Jinping had reiterated their country's commitment to abide by their, quote, Taiwan Agreement. Under its long-standing one-China policy, America recognises Beijing, not Taipei, as the seat of government, on the condition of peace across the Taiwan Strait. Mr Biden's national security adviser is to meet his Chinese counterpart in Zurich on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Taiwan's defence minister said tensions with mainland China are at their worst in at least 40 years. 148 Chinese warplanes have cut through the island's airspace since last week. American legislators will look again at strengthening its regulation of big tech in response to testimony from Frances Haugen, a whistleblower from Facebook. She told Congress the social media giant's platforms, quote, harm children, stoke division and weaken our democracy. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's boss, says she misrepresented the company. Separately, the firm said its network's outage on Monday was caused by routine maintenance. Pope Francis said he felt, quote, deep sadness for the victims of sexual abuse within the Catholic Church in France. A report concluded that about 216,000 children, mostly boys, have been abused by French clergymen since 1950. About 3,000 priests and clerics were involved, out of a total of 115,000. Jean-Marc Souvet, who led the investigation, accused the church of a, quote, institutional cover-up. America's trade deficit widened to a record $73.3 billion in August, up 4.2% from the previous month. Imports of goods and services rose by $4 billion from July, thanks to a pickup in consumer demand. Exports increased by a smaller amount. But the semiconductor shortage that has hobbled the auto industry meant that trade in vehicles and car parts shrank. Romania's coalition government, formed just nine months ago, collapsed after lawmakers voted it down. Centre-left and far-right opposition parties joined former members of the centrist coalition in supporting a no-confidence motion. The Prime Minister, Florin Quitsu, said he could stay on as the head of a minority government, but the vote may yet lead to early elections. British officials travelled to Afghanistan to hold talks with senior Taliban leaders, the first such open meeting since the West's mass evacuations from the country in August. Items on the agenda include alleviating the country's humanitarian crisis and ensuring safe passage for those who want to flee. Nonetheless, no Western country has yet recognised the Taliban as the legitimate rulers of Afghanistan. Members of the International Council on Mining and Metals, a group of the world's largest mining companies, have committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. They claim that target will be achieved by increasing their use of renewable energy and reducing that of diesel trucks. Their pledge comes ahead of COP26, the UN climate summit due to be held in November. And fact of the day. 
55%. The share of Pakistanis pleased to have the Taliban rule in Afghanistan, according to a recent Gallup poll. And now, here's today's agenda. Fighting Giants Biden's Top Trust Buster On Wednesday, Jonathan Cantor, President Joe Biden's nominee to lead the antitrust division of the Justice Department, will face a confirmation hearing in the Senate. A staunch critic of big tech, Mr Cantor has long fought Google as a lawyer representing rival firms, such as News Corp and Yelp, in competition disputes. If approved, he will again take on his longtime foe, this time overseeing the government's lawsuit, slated for trial in 2023, alleging that Google unlawfully monopolizes search and advertising. Mr. Biden is serious about fighting corporate concentration, especially in Silicon Valley. Yet courts tend to judge such claims narrowly by the effect on consumer prices. So far, his administration has delivered mixed results. Aon and Willis Towers Watson, two insurance brokers, abandoned their proposed merger amid an antitrust lawsuit. But the Federal Trade Commission's case against Facebook has floundered. A full in-tray awaits Mr Cantor if he is confirmed. Democracy in Pandemic Times The Latino Barometro Poll only 49% of Latin Americans are committed Democrats and 27% are indifferent to their country's political regime, according to Latino Barometro, a big region-wide poll taken regularly since 1995 and published by The Economist. That these figures are slightly better than in the last poll in 2018 is cold comfort for Democrats in a region where authoritarianism of various kinds is gaining ground. The most recent poll, taken in most countries late last year, suggests that Latin Americans, like those in other regions, rallied around their governments in the early stages of the pandemic. But it also shows the depth of discontent. 70% of respondents are dissatisfied with the way their democracy works and large majorities say the distribution of wealth and access to healthcare and other services are unfair. Latin Americans don't want military dictators. Many want to vote for strong presidents who better their lot. Curtain Call Carrie Lam's Big Speech Carrie Lam gives the final annual policy address of her current term as Hong Kong's chief executive on Wednesday. Whether she serves another will be decided by her Communist Party overseers in Beijing as much as by her own ambition. Patience with Mrs Lam may have worn thin. Protests that roiled the city in 2019 were in part fueled by her bungling the imposition of an extradition bill with the mainland. Demonstrations against that morphed into wider pro-democracy activism, prompting China to impose a draconian national security law. The city is now quiescent. About 10,000 critics have been arrested. Elections in December will feature only Beijing loyalists. Expect Mrs Lam to dispense sops to disillusioned Hong Kongers, particularly over sky-high housing costs. But her real priority 
is to reopen the border with the mainland. Keeping COVID-19 cases at zero is that goal's prerequisite. Meanwhile, businesses, stifled by some of the world's toughest quarantine restrictions, are squealing. Live for the applause. Boris Johnson's conference speech. British businesses are struggling to find workers. Hospital waiting lists keep growing and petrol supplies are patchy. But Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, is riding high at the Conservative Party conference. His personal magnetism helps. Wherever he goes, the faithful gather around to shake his hand and snap photos. Even more reassuringly, despite the various ongoing strains, his party's polling figures remain solid. Everyone loves a winner, and Mr Johnson still seems to be one. That means the Prime Minister can look forward to a friendly crowd when he gives his conference speech on Wednesday. But what it will contain is a mystery. His last big speech, which aimed to define his election pledge of quote, levelling up Britain's regions, was flimsy and opaque. Aides claim this one will contain real policy meat and some surprises. Should he fail to announce measures to tackle the winter crisis on the horizon, his winner's aura may start to wane. Climate Chaos The Nobel Prize for Physics This year's Nobel Prize for Physics was a timely reminder of humanity's impact on the planet. The trio of researchers who were awarded the prize on Tuesday found ways to predict the long-term behaviour of complex and seemingly random systems, including the climate. They also found evidence of how humans are influencing such systems. Sukira Manabe of Princeton University and Klaus Hasselmann of the Max Planck Institute for Meteorology were credited for their pioneering work on climate modelling. Giorgio Parisi of Sapienza University of Rome was recognised for mathematical ideas that helped to explain some of the complex systems of the Earth's climate described by his fellow laureates. His ideas can be applied to other fields, such as neuroscience and machine learning too. This was the first scientific Nobel Prize given for research on global warming. The awarding committee said the researchers had demonstrated a solid scientific foundation to changes in climate, perhaps a not-so-subtle call for action from world leaders ahead of COP26, the UN Climate Summit, next month. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Le Corbusier, who was born on this day in 1887. Modern life demands and is waiting for a new kind of plan, both for the house and the city. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 